make your own beer it's time for just brew it brought to you by niagara tradition homebrew here's your host jeremy white and bert deister good saturday morning welcome to niagara traditions just brew it here on espn 1520 jeremy white bert deister here on uh your favorite homebrewing show yes, i'm I just so. i'm just i mean i don't know how many there are I would think we've got to be top five of people that are listening. At least locally. <laughs> right, exactly. If you're local, we'll, we hope you're in, we're in your top five. Top, I hope you're in your top ten. If not, we'll keep trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so last week we spent some time, Beers of Brazil. If you want to go back and listen to any episode at any point, uh, they're on demand at WGR550.com and ESPN1520's website as well. Um, had some fun talking Olympics and all that stuff, but we're going to move forward this week to uh, – Preparing more for the changing of season, right? Yeah. As we kind of get ready. It's, it's draft season. Yeah. And that's not just fantasy football draft. Uh, that's working on your draft season, kegging your beer, because it's much easier than bottling. Yeah. I know this. Draft season sounds a lot better than end of fall. Or, or end, end of, of summer. summer. End of summer. summer beginning yeah. of fall. Sorry. I, I know that drafting or that kegging is easier because I've done it for 99%. I think I've bottled like 12 beers since I started brewing. I just go straight to keg. So, all right, if it's draft season, what does that mean for the home brewer when it comes to kegging? Well, I mean, with summer coming to an end here and football season starting and, and you know hockey right behind it, you end up consuming a lot more beer at home and maybe sharing it with friends that come over to watch said sporting events. So it's been summer. We've been talking about putting your beer into two-liter pop bottles to take it to go. And so now you kind of want to focus more on what you're going to consume at home. And as you can attest, you know, draft is a lot easier. Um, and it really feels full circle as a home brewer. When you're going down to your kegerator and you're pulling off, you know, a nice ice cold 8-ounce sample or 20-ounce sample or however large you want to sample that night, um, and you put it into your own frosty mug, it really feels full circle when you have draft beer as a home brewer. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about this is it's a lot cheaper, I think, than most home brewers think. They go online and they might look at, you know, large like three bay bars or stuff like that and they see prices within the thousands and, you know, prices within the we'll say the, you know, the thousands on the, you know, kegging systems conversions as well as far as like full conversions. But you can use your old refrigerator. Most home brewers choose to buy a chest freezer. It's only going to cost you about $150. Pair that with like a $200 kegging system from Niagara Tradition and you have your own keyser. So you have your own, you know, kegerator that you can move around, you can show off to friends and you won't have to deal with all the empties, you know, Monday morning um, and you won't have to, you know, hopefully deal with anything more than a couple you know, glasses. And, and it makes the cleanup a lot easier, not only the day after drinking, but the, you know, day you're prepping the beer. You don't clean 54 bottles. You clean one very large bottle. Um, and it's easy to clean, too. Yeah, it, it, I would have to say that I could probably clean a keg fully disassembled quicker than most people could clean a six-pack. Yeah. Yeah, it's much more convenient, that's for sure. So 
startup kits, draft startup kits. Is that what we're going to get to? Well, we'll talk a bit about that. I mean, for $220, it's, it's the kit that I usually recommend uh, for most starting home brewers. Uh, that's going to come with a five-pound CO2 cylinder, uh, dual-gauge regulator with a shutoff check valve, and a pressure-release valve, as well as brand-new Becker disconnects, hoses, lines, clamps, the keg, a rebuild kit for the keg. So in six months down the road, when you have a leak, when you're kegging on, say, a Friday night or something like that, you have the parts to fix that leak already there. Um, and the picnic faucet to start you out. Now, if you want to go for a you know, fridge faucet, that kit's only, I think, $20 more. Um, but I suggest going with the picnic faucet first and then adding in either a tower or a fridge faucet later. Um, but we also have some kind of we'll say more economy kits, especially if you're only doing commercial beer. We have some simple CO2 party systems, um, kind of the old standard of you have a CO2 cylinder, you have a regulator, you have a you know a tap and a spout, you're just going to put the keg into a you know bucket of ice, uh, and that starts at $150. Corny kegs, of course, we're talking about here, right? The second part, we're talking about Sankey kegs. Okay. First part, we're talking about corny kegs. So all of our homebrew kits, all of our homebrew kits, come with a Cornelius keg and a CO2 cylinder. So another question we get asked a lot, because I know a lot of kits that you order online usually are missing one of the two or both for shipping reasons. Um, whether you're ordering them online or you're picking it up in store, all of our homebrew kits come with the Cornelius keg. And one of the things we talked about, oh geez, a year ago was about price of corny kegs, mm-hmm. that at one point before the home brewing explosion you could get them for i don't know really cheap and now i think i bought most of mine for about 25 dollars. and now they go for uh 57 to 70 dollars yeah you know depending on the type and the condition um and it's you know really you're seeing a supply and demand and and the market price kind of take over for those um if you were lucky enough to be home brewing early you know, you might have a big collection. Um, I would say with the, uh, the, you know, if you're just starting out now, really treasure the kegs that you get. Take good care of them. Uh, never use bleach uh, because they're going to be really expensive to replace. If you treat it the right way, you know, never use bleach. You're using the right cleaning materials. You're keeping it, uh, whatever. You're just keeping an eye on it and taking good care of it. How long can it last? Indefinitely. And I'm very confident to say that. They're 304 stainless steel. Um, all the ones that we sell are only stainless steel. They're only the American and Italian-made ones that are made to the uh, you know original uh, specifications, as well as their food, uh, national food safety certified. So um, they're... You can replace all the rubber seals in them. Uh, as long as you treat the metal well, it likes an acidic environment like the beer, uh, and that's going to be, you know, good indefinitely. And, and I'm confident to say that because, you know, I have kegs that I've gotten 20 years out of, and, uh, you know, Pepsi-Cola got 20 years before me. Yeah. And I guarantee I'll get another 20 more. Well, I've got a question to kind of j- just jumps on this topic. I'm uh, moving again. My, my actual home brewing has been... It's been stalled because of a process of moving, yada, yada, yada. Don't need to get too much into it. But I will have to move my kegerator. I've got the freezer with the temperature control and a tower with two taps. And I have at least one keg in there that's had a little bit of beer in it for way too long. Like, I want to say that this beer has probably grown into the sides of the the corny (laughs) kegs. Another is empty. So for the process of breaking that down, um, once I move into the new house, I'll probably go through a cleaning process. We've talked about that before. But in terms of breakdown, storage, anything like that, 
Are there any good tips or tricks when it comes to using a unit like that? I mean, it's a it's a freezer, but it's been regulated as a fridge, mm-hmm. and I've drilled a hole through the top of it, so like the warranty's gone because, of, like, am I better off to take it to a friend's house and plug it in? Uh, am I better off to put it in storage? Like, what tips and tricks should someone who's going to have to break one of these down for any reason? Maybe it's a time of year, or maybe it's because of a move. Mm-hmm. First thing you want to do is get the beer out of there. That, that's the Dump first the step. Beer. You can blame your roommates for, you know. Not drinking enough of it. You got it. No. Um, and you, you want to open it up. You can, you know, put it into bottles or put it into growlers. Get those into the fridge and try to save what's left. You know, make your own judgment call on that. Um but after that, first thing you want to do is clean out the line. So you want to use BeBright PBW BLC, your favorite you know line cleaner, to flush out both the keg. And while you're doing that, you want to flush out the draft lines as well. And then repeat that with water and then star sand or sandy clean. I really kind of prefer star sand uh, for the long durations over this. It doesn't have a colored precipitate. So maybe there's a precipitate there, but I don't see it. So it makes me feel better. But any, you know, acid sanitizer is really what you're looking for here. And that's, again, to protect the metal, but also protect the neoprene washers and stuff like that. Um, once you've done to that, soak you've, too. What was that? To soak for extended. You're, you're leaving it there indefinitely until you go use it again. Oh, okay, so so yeah, it's going to be sitting in there for this, especially the star sand for however long you know it takes you to get it set up on the other end again. Gotcha. So it's not a problem to put a a star sand solution with how much water all the way up or no? I mean, you only have to do a quart or two enough to flush through the lines enough to leave some liquid into the keg, but you do not have to have it filled. Gotcha. So um, then have a quarter of a keg of water with star sand solution and then leave that in storage with the star sand in it. You got it. Um, the other will it, I'm sorry, will it will, will the will the chemical come off the water and treat the entire keg? No, like the air just... or anything like that. No, but you want to what if you flush it through with your CO2 system, you've purged out most of the oxygen. You, you've purged out any beer or anything uh, really with any calories out of the line. Um, and so you're left with water, um, diobenzic acid, uh, CO2. Um, and so you've created a very hostile, very acidic environment. At the same time, by removing the oxygen, you've prevented any of your seals from dry rotting or the hoses from discoloring while you're gone. Um, but yeah, so that that's going to be the easiest okay. easiest way. If you leave it, um, like say, if you cleaned it and left it dry, you you know you're going to get dust. Uh, you're going to get water precipitate. You're going to get humidity from the air. And so the inside of your keg might start to look like that rusty, battered, um, precipitated outside of the keg. And that's what you're trying to avoid. Um, once you have the keg lines flushed, if you're going to take it apart, I would suggest doing that. And I would suggest giving any rubber fitting that's visible. So the post O-rings, the inside of the um, disconnect, a little bit of keg lube. Just again, you're, those are going to be exposed to air by putting a, just a light greasing around those fittings, um, you're going to stop any air exposure. So when you say flush the tubes, you mean keep solution in the tubes yep. on your disconnect. So okay. Yep. If um, you got a fa- faucet plug, put that on yep. as well. And I also have from you guys this giant jar of really green solution. What's that? Hmm. A um, little cap of green that I think it's to flush my lines in between beers. That's, that's BLC. Yeah. yeah. And the BLC, while you don't want to leave that long term, that's a great short term cleaner. And it really uh, is slightly corrosive. And it really gets out beer stone out of your line without having to scrub. And that would be a great cleaner to use before the star sand or sandy clean. So you get all the organic matter out of there gotcha. before you put it away. So the green guy first. And then flush with star sand and then mm-hmm. leave some star sand in and in the tubes. 
and store it that way. You got it. And as far as the refrigerator, yeah. you don't have to keep it plugged in. But the, the main worry with the refrigerator is if it gets moved around, if it gets rocked, um, you need to let it set upright. I know you don't want to lay it 12 down. 12 hours, yeah, before. Yeah. But you don't have to keep it plugged in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know about you don't lie it down because that's one of the reasons I was without my kegerator for so long is I didn't have an adequate vehicle to get it from point A to point B. If it does lay down, you say it needs 12 hours to sit back 12 up. 12 to 24 hours, most guides will say, to sit back up. And what you're waiting for is you're waiting uh, for any liquids uh, in the condensation system to drip back down to the reservoir. Mm-hmm. And they have to go through some pretty fine lines, so it's going to be a slow drip. Gotcha. Well, I'll be moving that thing soon. I am moving over the course of the next couple of weeks. I've already moved everything into storage. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be whatever. I'm glad to do that. I'm glad to get set back up and start brewing again. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm ready. And we're going to talk about some brewing something a little bit next. So uh, from maintenance of your own stuff to uh, what to brew and a fest beer. You've heard of Oktoberfest. So what is a fest beer and uh, just how late are you if you wanted to brew one? We'll get to that next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. What is a fest beer, and is there still time to make one? Okay, so a lot of people have been asking me, you know, what happened to my Oktoberfest? I couldn't wait for Oktoberfest season, and now I don't see any Oktoberfest, and I'm seeing fest beers, and I'm seeing Marzins. What's going on here? Um, and we'll talk a little bit about why you're seeing that change here. So in the 2015 BJCP guidelines, they split up the Oktoberfest style into two different beers. One being the kind of Oktoberfest we know, which is the Marzen. And now Marzen obviously means March. So this is the slightly higher, not much, but slightly higher alcohol version. It's going to be made in March, which much darker malt is going to have a toastier, almost roasted malt finish. Um, And this is the one that you know. This is a style that goes back to 1841, made by Spaten. And, you know, still a nice big malty beer with a dry finish and the traditional beer of most Oktoberfest celebrations. Um, But what happened starting in the 1960s, 1970s in Munich, Germany, is people weren't drinking enough. I know this sounds a little funny that people, Oktoberfest, Munich, they weren't drinking enough. But they found out. They weren't drinking enough Oktoberfest or they just stopped drinking? They weren't drinking enough beer. As far as for the the festival organizers were concerned and the brewers. And so they had these, you know, big high alcohol beers that people were drinking. So they were either only drinking one or they were drinking a few and drinking too much. Passing out. And so they they had to make a, you know, kind of. uh, uh, we'll say a nice happy medium here. Not quite a session, but 
They you wanted to make it. a more drinkable beer. You got it. And and I think the, the best quote that if you go out there and you start looking, and it goes all the way to the BJCP guidelines, is the head brewer at Paul Linder and probably some form of, um, you know, uh, you know, you imagine a nice German accent here that he needs a beer that's quote unquote in his English more poundable. Yeah. All right. Um, and th- this was uh, a quote that goes back as far as the 1970s. Um, and he, they started looking at the style and they didn't want to just make a Munich Hellas. They didn't just want to make a really light, thin bodied beer uh, that was really more of a, a summer beer, but they wanted to still capture some of the flavors or what they thought was the uh, the main flavor of an Oktoberfest. So they started making what they called the Fest beer. And this was the beer kind of like, you know, for our um, the Erie County uh, Fair. We have our own Erie County Fair beer. In the Oktoberfest festival, they would have their official Fest beer made by um, Spaten. And this was basically their traditional Oktoberfest with some ingredients removed. Um, and so if you're looking to make a fest beer, that's the same thing you're going to do to your favorite Oktoberfest recipe. And so if, instead of having this, you know, you know, red to amber beer, it was all of a sudden a light kind of golden color. It was closer to 5 to 6%, not edging on the 6% and over. Um, and it didn't quite have as much of that body, but still had that really toasty um, profile that people were kind of used to when they were thinking about these Oktoberfest beers. Um, and so these became a hit in Germany and took kind of a while to come over to the United States. But it's also why if you're, you know, a, a drinker here of these German fest beers, you were used to seeing everything from a red color to a light beer. And there was, you know, kind of uh, some really dichotomy between the, the style, much similar to you see to some American styles like IPA or something like that. And so there was a, a large body of beers. And so the BJCP um, guidelines last year kind of split them off into two ends of the spectrum on them. And so if I look at my Oktoberfest recipe, I'm going to start with five pounds of Pilsner malt. I'm going to keep that in my Fest beer. I usually go with three pounds of Munich and Vienna. I'm going to reduce those both in my fest beer to from three pounds to two pounds each. I'm going to keep my carapils and I'm going to keep my biscuit malt because I still want to have that kind of sweet and toasty finish to the beer. What I am going to drop out is the Carafa 3 Special and the Cara Aroma Malt, my really dark crystals. Now, these are the things that kind of give the beer a toffee and almost like toasty or, say, roasty nose as well as uh, pretty much all of its color. And so while really we still have the Munich, this light honey flavor, we still have the Vienna, the kind of peanutty flavor, and we have the biscuit or the graham cracker flavor and the carapils, but we just don't have as much base, so we don't have as high of alcohol as a beer, and we don't have those darker malts that may, in 1970s Munich, have been scaring away some of the tourists from drinking the local beer. Is there a specific famous one you can think of that falls into the fest beer? I mean, the Spaten style. That's the one? Yeah, and if you, if you wanted to look at, um, you know, like, so if you if you look at, like, Spaten would be the more of the Marzen style. Um, it's rich. It has a little bit higher terminal gravity than most of the other ones. And then if you look at the Paul Linder, um, you really see more of the uh, the opposite style, the light, slightly, you know, toasty mm-hmm. uh, style of beer. And those are actually two of my favorites. And, and they are, to me, two different beers. What makes it separate from a Hellas? Well, a Hellas is 
uh, going to have just Munich malt pilsner, and it's going to be lighter. Lighter. It's not going to have your toasted malts, and usually it's also mashed a little bit differently. Yeah. A little bit longer, a little bit cooler mashing temperature, and that's going to get you a thinner profile in the finish. So you're suggesting get these started now, though. Yes. And and if you're coming into the store, say, today, and you say, hey, uh, I know I should have brewed this in March, but I want to make an Oktoberfest, we're going to give you the history of the Fest beer and try to point you to a little bit lighter of a beer that's going to do better with a German alt yeast, um, but still you know, give you that toasty flavor, uh, a little bit of a German finish to the nose of the beer, uh, and... Uh, yeah, be a great for your Oktoberfest party at home. So if an Oktoberfest isn't made over the course of like six months, you're what what about it are you cheating? Really that the one you gotta take out the lager yeast. That's for sure. Um, while there are some lager yeasts that are going to finish um, their primary fermentation and rest in time, you're not gonna have the time to let it sit there and kind of really thin out the body of the beer while you lager it. Um, so using an alt yeast is going to kind of reduce that time. You can still put it into cold storage. It's still going to benefit from the cold storage, and you got a month to get it started now. Um, but it's going to do better in the, the short term because it's not going to create uh, as many kind of, you know, harsh esters in the nose. And it's also, again, it's, it's going to eat through that sugar. It's going to get through... You know, it's acetaldehyde quicker, and you don't need the temperature control mm -hmm. as well, which makes a big difference. So you're not too late. You can get going. You just can't have the truest. You, yeah, you can't have that exact one that you necessarily want, which isn't a bad thing. Right. And I always tell this when people are serving beers to house guests, is you know probably, if you're the brewer, you probably know more about the beer than anybody else at that party. Um and you're also the brewer, so what you say goes. And if you ever host a party and serve an Oktoberfest and someone says to you, this doesn't taste like you brewed it in March, mm -hmm. I mean, what are you going to do, punch that person in the face? I mean, like, who is ever going to— I think that's probably going to start a wonderful beer conversation <laughs> yeah, right, right, like, right there. Like, oh, my God, how did you know that? Who would ever know? Um, now, you're not going to make the Niagara Homegrown Homebrew Competition deadline with this Oktoberfest. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But you do still have time. What other beers— are this time of year well especially people trying to get something fall german style well, german go... style munich style fall fest style we can go with that the other thing i wanted to bring up is a keller beer if you're trying to and for anybody who knows if you're really having an Oktoberfest party and you're pushing it way late meaning you're not listening to the show or you're not thinking about your Oktoberfest party beer for another two weeks or from you're now, moving and you're kind of struggling you're moving, or you're moving you can still make that Fest beer is kind of a Keller style. And so you're going to keep the toasted malt, you're going to keep the Munich Vienna, the Pilsner. Uh, but then instead of using a all yeast or a lager yeast, you're going to use a Kolsch yeast or a crossover yeast. Um, and the, when you talk about a Keller beer, it's almost, we'll say, the uh, lager or crossover version of a Hefeweizen. And so it's fermented very quickly. And usually consumed while it's still a bit hazy and still a bit yeasty. And I think it's a joke among the homebrewing community um, that a lot of times you went to make a Kolsch, but you ended up making a Keller beer um, because you didn't make it in time. And so you end up kegging it rapidly, drinking it. It's still got a little yeast. It's still a little cloudy. And the joke is, ah, I made a Keller beer. Mm. Um, but if you set out to make a Keller beer, it will be a wonderful Keller beer. And you should be able to have it in time for Oktoberfest, even three weeks out. 
alcohol level on these is usually lower is going to be easier especially if you're in a rush but usually on the Oktoberfest style we'll say uh for a fest beer uh, anywhere from like 4.8 to 5.8 and then usually about 5.2 to 6.5 on the marzen style very good all right so that's how to make your fest beer the differences between the two and go ahead and get on that now you you yeah. can still have a party and uh, no one will know except for your yeah. super snobby friend. You got it. And if you want to talk about pumpkin beers or big imperial like fall beers, we are getting into that time. Pumpkins quite aren't ready yet, so you're not going to be able to find that local pumpkin for another couple of weeks here. But you can get started with a little bit of canned pumpkin. Or if you want to start making a spice beer for holidays, you want to use these last warm weeks of summer to try to get that high alcohol beer started, especially if you're using a Belgian-style yeast for your Christmas beer. That'll be a goal for me, and, and we'll do this maybe a couple weeks down the line. Uh, my next beer, I, I think I want to have a winter warmer. Like mm-hmm. It's just something that's you know, a good December beer. A rich, hearty. Yeah, rich, hearty, malty spicy kind of winter warmer i'll be looking to get one of those in, but we that's that's off down the line uh update on the niagara homegrown homebrew competition entry deadline september 10th all styles open beers must use 80 percent niagara malt no entry fee that's nice how many of these have no entry fee very few but since, nowadays right very since very few since you're using it for feedback for niagara malt you got it and because we we said okay it has to be use niagara malt we decided that we should drop the entry fee. Also, because we're a homebrew shop hoping, hosting the competition, instead of a club, there's a lot of our facilities and a lot of stuff that we're going to be able to use that normally a club would have to pay for. Everything such as tasting glasses to really the place to do the tasting. Um, we're lucky enough we have the shop, and we're going to be able to you know host the tasting there. You have till September 10th, three 12-ounce unmarked, Amber bottles, no sours, no specialties. But again, if you've you're too late <laughs> to even try and yeah. think about that. Uh, but you have pointed out the beers will have two weeks to sit for anyone that's considering something yep. that needs a little more bottle conditioning. Yep, they're going to be sitting at about. Um, I think we took a temperature the other day in the spot we're going to be keeping them in is about 66 to about 70 degrees at the max and usually hovering around a perfect 68 so if you have beers that you're bottling last minute yes they're going to give a full two weeks out of sunlight uh, at conditioning temperatures to bottle them up if you need very good that'll do it for us this week enjoy your saturday and uh get on that fest beer ASAP. Stores open, so if you need to get on your uh, kegging equipment and all that stuff, mm-hmm. no time like the present. Enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. And go brew yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.